Hey everyone, in the coming months, we're going to switch out some of our interstitial music and feature our good friend James Byer and his wonderful snare drums, Byer Snares. We're going to have a feature snare drum of the week with a good friend, Mark Beckett, and former guest, and we'll tell you what the snare drum is and how it sounds, and in one or two of the breaks during the episode, you'll hear a real example of the Bayer snare drum in action. We'll let you know who the drummer is and which snare drum they're using. We'll also include links to the performances in the show notes. And of course, we'll include a link to the website where you can find out more information about the Bayer snare drum. This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is percussionist, composer, drummer, all around great musician, Eric Darkin. For over 30 years, Eric has worked as a studio and touring percussionist for some of the biggest bands and artists in the world. Just a few of his recording credits include Taylor Swift, Bon Jovi, Jewel, Marin Morris, Bob Seger, and Carrie Underwood, just to name a few. Eric has traveled around the world and throughout the United States, performing with artists such as Vince Gill, Amy Grant, Faith Hill, Take Six, and Bob Seger. He currently tours with Jimmy Buffett and the Coral Reefer Band, and frequently performs live with Mac McAnally. If you're interested in finding out more about this episode and all of the over 250 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on Spotify. Check us out there. One thing that we'd like to do is show our gratitude to some of our Patreon members. We've got some recent members that have just joined us, Jimmy Allison, Rick Jones. Uh, We've got Dean Cook, Nikeo Wallace, and Michael Collins. They've all joined within the last uh, few months or six months. Uh, Sean Newman, Matt Waddell, Dave Nanke, or Nink, Jonathan Hawk, Scott Nosworthy, Isaac Sanchez, James Osborne, and Matt Middleton. We appreciate all of you supporting the podcast. Our most recent contribution on Patreon is from our former guest, Steve Haas. He's got a great video on the concept of click chasing and how to strengthen your time feel when playing with a click. He also introduces a fun and creative way of applying a simple 16th note sticking pattern as triplets within a fill, soloing, or groove ideas. So if you are a member of Patreon, you can check out this great video by Steve Haas. If Patreon isn't your thing, then we have a PayPal option on our website. You can go there and make a one-time donation. We appreciate everyone's help over the years in keeping this podcast going strong. So Eric's always been on my radar in one way or another. I've been in Nashville for a little over 20 years, and he's one of those people that I'm kind of surprised I haven't met yet. But while Uh, The podcast was working closely with Harry McCarthy at Drum Paradise here in Nashville. I remember seeing like this huge wall of timpani and marimba and all this great stuff. It just, it looked like a a college percussion program that had spilled over into Drum Paradise. It was amazing. And to think that people were still recording like that on a regular basis excited me. And then fast forward to building tracks for an artist, I came across his percussion creativity and it was very inspiring and there are some things that just from that one experience I still use to this day whether it's just 
crash accents here and there and just really thinking outside the box. So I hope you feel inspired as I did and enjoy this conversation with Eric Darkin. I've been traveling so much the last two or three years. You know, I, I, I tour with Jimmy Buffett and I also do shows with Mac McAnally. So mm-hmm. between those two, um, I'm gone throughout the year a lot. I mean, Jimmy's touring schedule is usually we do about a week and a half every month, give or take. And um, so it's not just this constant, you know, it's not every weekend. So we, we, we take a week a month and basically go out and do some shows. Um, and then Mac and I go do 25 or 30 shows. So when March, April came and I had a little downtime, I was like, man, this is, I'm okay with just a little chill. Sure. Um, and I use that time honestly to kind of get back into some practicing, trying to develop some new things. I mean, there's so much information out there between YouTube and Instagram. I mean, uh, you know, I can, I can learn so much every day. I mean, I can't tell you how many videos that I have saved from artists from all over the world, you know, mm-hmm. just, okay, I got to work on that. I got to work on that. And I'm, I'm right now in a, in a pretty serious learning stage where I just want to learn and grow musically. I don't want to be complacent. And, and the way things are now, there's so many opportunities to pick up ideas, tips, um, you know, practicing new concepts. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And then I was also using the chance or the using the time rather to, I mean, I'm a, um, I'm a composer and I've been doing that for the last 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And so I've been using that opportunity. I had a bunch of music that I had started that I, I wanted to get done and I finished writing a couple of songs. Um, and then in the meantime, pe- people are still sending me projects to overdub. So, yeah. um, for years, people, rather than having me come into their studio, they would just send me files. And sure. so that continues. So I'm kind of, it's a combination of me writing, me practicing and trying to grow as an artist as what I do. And then also just every day doing overdubs for various artists. I mean, I got folks from all over the country and some from all over the world that will send me tracks. And, um, from out of nowhere, I had, all of a sudden I had a, I had a couple of clients out of Canada that, that were sending me tracks to work mm-hmm. on. So, um, that's sort of how I, I fill my time, uh, um, uh, for the last week, March through July now. So, um, that's what I've been doing. Nice. I think that's another reason why I was so excited to talk to you. I think the timing has been perfect. I want to get into some of that, you know, like for those that are aspiring to do more of that and mm-hmm. looking at where the industry is going, uh, when we're on the other side of this and how it may look completely different mm-hmm. and maybe some new opportunities that may uh, present themselves and ways to take advantage of those changes. A lot of people were saying, you know, I, I really welcome this time. This is that sabbatical I've been wishing for secretly, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to finally not worry about the next song, the next gig, but practice. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not, I mean, I'm fully aware of being self-employed and being, you know, yeah. I have bills to pay and I'm, I'm not at all. I'm fully aware that I have, you know, I've got to eat and I've got to make mortgage payments and all these various things. I mean, so I still have, that has to continue. And so I still, I'm aware of, of all that, that needs to continue sure. to happen. And so, um, luckily, fortunately, gratefully, um, I've been doing the home studio recording, um, concept for, 
I mean, I started with ADATs, so I go back a long time. Wow. Okay. You know, yeah, I go back. I mean, there were there were a lot of folks, and I think a lot of it were people were, you know, hey, just do your thing at your house because they knew I had a I, I had a studio set up, and it's like it was more of producers and artists just going, hey, I'll just send you stuff, and you just do what you do and send it back, and that started back in the ADAT world, and so it's just been a continuation of that. But I am fully aware that. Um, there are there are a lot of folks that are kind of I hate to use the word reinventing or mm-hmm. um, having to figure out hey I I, I want to continue to do music I want to continue to do this and how do I how do I make a living how do I keep doing this and I think there are opportunities out there just uh, the one thing about it is there's tons of people out there that are um, putting new content out looking for interesting content I think it's a rather than it going, Hey, I'm not gigging. I think creatively there's an opportunity for all of us to, to show forth or show folks what, what you do and to, and to present a a new platform of who you are as an artist or a band. Um, um, and it does take some creativity. It does take a little thought. Um, I don't want to be the person that just puts stuff up on Instagram or YouTube every day. I just, I want to have, you know, if I put something out there, I want it to be sort of interesting or fun or, um, uh, creative. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, but I'm fully aware that, that folks are, are needing to, to, uh, continue their arts and their crafts, um, in doing this. It would be interesting to see what it would be like if this pandemic thing was happening like 15 years ago or 20 years ago before social media was what it was. I mean, with mm. all its uh, problems, you know, <laughs> the, and, yeah, the, and the I mean, vitriol that, that, that goes along with it. Uh, but the opportunity to share and network from your from a safe place is available now. Oh, it's that's a that's a that's a scary concept even as you put it out there it's like wow what if we didn't have social media and the only way you knew is to wait for the news at night or in the morning to go hey stay inside all day know. you know if we weren't i mean how do we continue to do what we're doing and if you didn't have home recording i mean that's that's a that's a very interesting concept that there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of a scary factor to that, but the good news is we're not. <laughs> so, I know. so I look at it and go, so we're not going to go there. So we are where we are, which is a spectacular. I mean, I wake up every day and I go, I go, I have the opportunity to reach people all over the world, not only in Nashville. I mean, whether it's Nashville, New York, L.A., wherever I'm getting, uh, wherever I'm contacting people, or people are contacting me from around the country or around the world. I mean, the opportunity to share our gifts, our talents worldwide. When you really think about it, it's like, man, that's, it's a big world. And when you think about the gifts and talents that we've been given, um, you know, I take it really seriously. I take really seriously what I do as a, as an artist, as a craftsman, as a musician, however you want to look at it. And I go, what an, an incredible opportunity that I feel like God's given me to share this gift. And it's like, how do I, how do I, share this and how do I share this in the most effective way and use the tools that are given to me, you know, the internet, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's my goal. And, and, and so today I wake up tomorrow and I go, okay, so what do I need to do today and how can I share whether it's writing, performing videos, whatever it is. Um, 
it's just stunning to me. I just, I've done a couple of virtual performances. Uh, I did a Facebook live show uh, a couple of weeks ago with a couple of other, couple of other buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, inter- you know, it was a great to play with these guys. We did a little 35 minute show and, and, you know, it was a mate fun to do great to do, but it was really fun to hear the folks responding from all over the country, all over the world, you know, and, yeah, and that to me is that to me is the fun of it, you know, and, and, um, so that's what I do. I wake up every day going, okay, so how do I, how do I share the gifts? How do I make the mm-hmm. gifts re- relevant to what I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything particular that you're working on kind of jumping back to this time you're taking to study or look online? Uh, you know, finding you said you mentioned finding some YouTube things. Is there anything particular that you're uh, working on or addressing or a style or other things like I'm that? I'm working on trying to be more independent as a player. Um, huh. You know, when I'm in the studio, it's funny because I, uh, for years, I was and I still am. I mean, I do studio work, which is obviously a very controlled environment. I can, I can, you know. Um, when I'm doing multiple percussion passes, it's all very layered and I can do a shaker part. I can do a conga part. And, and so it's very controlled, very contained when I'm playing live, you know, whether I'm with Jimmy or, um, or Mac, but with, which both gigs, you know, when I'm playing with Jimmy, it's, um, um, I'm playing the percussion chair, you know, there's a drummer and there's Mm -hmm. another percussionist steel drum player. But my role is basically I play percussion, congas, bongos, um, we run a few loops here and there, but generally it's, it's, um, it's the percussion gig, you know? So sure. that's what I do with Jimmy. When I go out with Mac McAnally, you know, we basically, it's just Mac and I. And so we've created this little sound where I set up, I basically set up a hybrid kit right? and it's, it's a suitcase and it's just a plethora of, of sounds and instruments. And I mean, it started out as a cajon and acoustic guitar. I mean, that's literally, we, we started the gig doing that and then it's grown into this fairly elaborate, you know, two different kick drums, two different snares, a bunch of hand percussion. Um, and he does the same thing. He brings out a multitude of, of acoustic instruments too. So every, every, um, every song that Mac and I do is sort of a, a story. And so every song has a different, flavor and sound. And I'm saying all that to say, so mm-hmm. my study on, you know, when I'm looking at Instagram or YouTube is looking for people that I can learn from, you know, musicians, other percussionists, drummers from around the world that will help me to be more independent. You know, I want to be a better, I want to be more of a, uh, independent player, um, you know, using obviously both my arms and my feet and just being able to create as much sound as I can, Yeah, you know, and so having more independence in that way, as far as my percussion share with Jimmy, and then as a hybrid, it's like, okay, watching other drummers, um, there's two or three of them um, that I that end up popping up on my Instagram that I'm like, I just shake my head because they are so <laughs> fluid and so yeah. beautiful in there. I mean, so I'm, I'm soaking all this stuff in. I can't tell you how many times I will, I will like a video and then download it. And it's like, okay, the next day um, I am... Uh, you know, I'm reviewing it and looking at it and, and, uh, trying to take those, those parts and incorporate them into my life, into my, into what I'm doing. There's a, I noticed where the kick drum would normally be on the setup with Mac is, is like a tambourine. Is that a common thing? Uh 
Yeah. What is that? Well, there? that is actually a Pandero, a Meinl. I've worked okay. with Meinl Percussion, sure. and um, which I, I've been up and working with them for for probably twenty plus years. And I and and I just I really like the company. They're great guys. They they're they're from Germany, but they're they're kind of their local offices here in Nashville, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, that is actually a Pandero that they uh, have an attachment for a kick drum, so you can you can set it up as a kick drum. That's cool. And um, the way I have it tuned, it literally sounds. I've had two or three sound guys go, "I like this better than a kick drum." <laughs> I mean, we and and th- again, this goes back to the setup I have with Mac, which is I have the little Pandero kick, and I have a suitcase. I actually uh, there's a company out of um, Washington D.C. K Space. I think it's called case based drum and they take old suitcases and they make kick drums out of them. Yeah. And, um, they came on the scene a few years ago and I think I was, might've been one of the first few guys that I, um, that I, I bought from, from them. I contacted them and said, man, I love the concept I'm looking for with Mac. I wanted to have two different kick drums. I wanted to have one that's like a heartbeat. And I also wanted to have one that was really like a serious kick cannon just from a sonic standpoint, because some of Mac's songs doesn't, you know, he doesn't need a cannon, you know, he needs just sort of that little pulse kick. And so mm-hmm. again, this goes back to creating tones and sounds. Sure. And I have two different snares because they're tuned completely different ones like low and, and real lo-fi. And the other one is, is high and uh, tight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's two different kick drums and they both, they're both EQ differently. They sound completely different. Um, What's the other kick the, drum that you have the Pandero? The, the Pandero is the one that's the uh-huh. what I call kind of the cannon, and then the the suitcase is the oh, other. One. Okay, yeah. and so I use the suitcase to the right, and then to the left of that is the other one. So I'm kind of going back and forth, um, and they are drastically different. So if anybody's heard the show, it's like when you hear it, it's basically. I told the guys in Washington D.C. I said, I said I want a heartbeat. You know, I really that's kind of all I want it to be, and and I've that's ended up I've used that on sessions, and that's exactly what it is. If you feel it, but you don't, you know, you don't hear uh-huh. it necessarily, yeah. but you feel it. Yeah, um, and you can get that with other kick drums, but it's just nice to. It looks cool on stage too. That I got to admit, that's that's not a bad <laughs> it thing. Does that look, it's got the, it, it does look. It looks cool, but it sounds great. You know, I got to be honest with you, it sounds great and it serves its purpose. And it's lighter in weight than most kick drums, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, um, and, I, and I use that on, you know, to be honest with you, I use that same that same sort of setup I use for for Jimmy. I, I keep saying Jimmy. I mean, you know, I think yeah. most people know I play for Jimmy Buffett. So yeah, Jimmy Buffett. Um, Mac, and Mac we and do I. the same hybrid. Yeah. yeah. And so we do um, we do the same hybrid kick. Sometimes Jimmy will just go out and bring Mac and I. You know, he's got maybe like a small little gig that he wants to do a, a little hybrid thing. So he'll strip the band down to just Mac and I. And so I'll use the same sort of hybrid. Um, I'm always thinking, and I'm going to interject this, I'm always thinking from an audience standpoint. I'm always thinking, mm, like, what yeah. what does the audience want to hear? Because for the last, since I've been on the road, um, I basically went from doing studio work for 20-some years to I ended up getting the gig with, with Jimmy um, and Mac. And so it's like, wow, this is, this is a whole nother world, you know, playing live, doing shows, playing in front of 15, 20,000 people, uh, uh, every night is a whole new, you know, it's not the studio. You don't put your headphones right. on and, and, you know, I had to really get my head around, okay, you know, how people are looking at me, how am I projecting? How am I looking? How do I sound the whole package? You know, it's like people are up there, um, 
you know, they're obviously looking at Jimmy most of the night, but they look around and it's like, babe, you got to put on a show. I'd go to festivals, A, to listen to bands, but also just to see how does that band make me feel or how does that artist make, make me feel? And I can't tell you how much I have learned by going, wow, that guy looked bored. You oh, know, yeah. Or right. that girl, you know, and so it's it's like well, I'll go to these various festivals, you know, Bonnaroo, Bonnaroo, Bonnaroo or ACL or or any of these, you know, I'll go to club dates and just go, how does that artist or how does that band make make me feel or or and I have learned so much by watching other bands, you know, and and um you know, sometimes they're contrived, sometimes they're not, but um I can't, you know, over the years it's gone from you know, kind of, I'm sort of the quiet guy on the stage to now folks are like, Hey, you look like you're having a great, great time up there, which I am. I mean, yeah. the truth, truth yeah. of the matter is so, um, that's part of it too, is, is growing and learning how to be a performer up, up there. That's one thing. One of my early teachers told me is like percussion should be heard and seen, like hold yep. that triangle up. Yep. You know, absolutely. And, and absolutely. that's, and that's such a great compliment too, is when people say, man, I saw you guys on stage and it just looked like you're having so much fun and, and it made us happy too. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I recently, so I'm not going to mention the band, but it's a pretty well-known band that's kind of in the indie pop world. And I, I went to check them out just cause they've, they've got some radio stuff going. And, and I remember walking out going, man, that drummer looked bored. <laughs> I mean, he looked like he was just dialing it in. I thought, eh, you know, I, and I just looked at it and went, I don't want to be that person. I don't ever want to come across like I'm not interested in, and, um, I hope I know it at least. Our snare drum feature of the week is the Buyer 4x15, performed by Nashville session player Mark Beckett. Taking an instrument and what I, I use the phrase owning that instrument, meaning, you know, getting learning that about that instrument, learning about the tones that are available with that instrument. You know, how many different things can I get out of this djembe? Yeah. You know, different mallets, different, you know, um, uh, you know, one of the things I like to use a lot, especially when I'm working with Mac or any of the acoustic players that I work with is I'm a huge fan of using the broomsticks you know which are yeah. everybody's making those now i mean i'm a huge broomstick fan because i get to i get to not get in the way of the i always tell my acoustic friends it's like man i'm letting you do all the work because truth of the matter is they're they're taking care of a lot of the subdivision so all i have to worry about is sort of the kick in the backbeat you know and and yeah that's what i love about the experimenting of of how a broomstick works how a bass drum mallet works how you know, I'm all about trying to experiment about how tones come across, whether on a record or whether live. You know, um, the sound guy that we have, both for Jimmy and for Mac, they're two different guys. Um, and uh, they, you know, they're all, I mean, I'm all about, you know, how does this sound out front? How is this, What whatever I am doing, I want it to be pleasing to the audience's ear. You know, I want my tones to be, reflective of the music I'm, I'm real serious about that i mean i'm serious about that especially on records which we have a total control over um but uh, live especially it's like how is this how is this pleasing to the audience you know and i'm very aware of of how these drums sound with with uh jimmy's band and also with mac 
Well, and, and this has come up before in discussion, especially when tracking is that frequency and being aware of the tones that are already happening, whether it's coming from the acoustic guitar or the hi-hat, and then you're adding shaker, or, you know, it's like, first of all, are you stepping on each other? Uh, if you if it's a good fit, are you playing well together? Uh, is it detracting or is it adding? Uh, I'm guessing that is something that you have to be hyper aware of when you talk about tones. Absolutely. Oh gosh, yeah. I'm. I'm. That's one of the first, and and I think that only comes by by doing it and by playing. I mean, being aware of. Uh, I remember years ago. I think I was in an or I was in college and I was in an orchestra rehearsal. And it's, it's funny. I, I know it meant a lot to me because I'm bringing it up 30 some <laughs> years later. But I remember the conductor saying back, you know, talking to the whole orchestra, everybody should be able to hear everybody back in the percussion section. You we should all be playing. You know, we should be able to hear the, the flute player. We should be able to play hear everything that's going on. Wow. You know, and I and it always struck me as I want to I want to know what's going on in the band. I want to hear everybody. Um, I want to know, you know, uh, you know, um, in 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 the Buffett band, it's you know, there's a it's a pretty good sized band. It's ten people. There's a lot of instruments going on. Yeah. And so my role in that band is really it's kind of I don't need to play a lot because there's really there's three guitar players bass drums keyboards trumpet there's a lot of information coming off that stage and so it's like what's my my i have found over the years i edit myself more and more i'm playing less you know i want every part to have meaning yeah you know so i don't need to be playing you know the truth of the matter is i rarely play a lot of shaker on the gig mm -hmm. because there's three acoustic players it's like we don't need to clutter that that space right you know right um um, and so I am more than happy to lay back and, and I want everything that I, that I play to have, you know, meaning and purpose. And, and, and while we're on the Jimmy Buffett thing, what does he expect from you? It, maybe that goes back to when you first started the gig and, and, uh, those kinds of discussions. Ralph McDonald had the gig for um, 25 years. Ralph was the percussionist, and it was kind of an interesting story how it how it came apart uh, came to pass. Uh, Mac McAnally uh, was the he's the co-music director. Mike Utley and Mac McAnally are the two kind of band leaders, and and Mac called me one day. I had worked with I've known Mac for years. Had worked with him on various records. Uh, Mac as a producer. And I had actually worked on a couple of Jimmy Buffett records. I had worked on License to Chill. I had done a couple of tracks that Ralph couldn't do. And I had worked on a um, on a movie for Jimmy. And believe it or not, I worked on Five O'Clock Somewhere for Alan Jackson. Oh, cool, I, I yeah. Worked. Yeah, I went in and they go, oh, yeah, we got this song for Alan Jackson. We need some congas and marimba. And it's, and it's a duet with Jimmy Buffett. And I went, oh, that's cool. And little did I know, you know, years later, I'd be playing it every night. So... Um, when I came to the gig, it was, uh, all I wanted to do was, was do what Ralph had been doing. I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. Ralph is just such a, an incredibly iconic world-class player. It's like, I wanted to just sort of fit in. I studied his parts. Um, Jimmy is very hands-off. Jimmy is one of those guys where if it feels good and sounds good, he's not going to turn around and go, Hey, don't play that triangle there. Or don't, you know, <laughs> he is not, he is, he is. 
very hands off. He wants it to be a band. The only time he'll turn around is sometimes go, hey, man, just play me some bongos in the intro or bongos or congas. Um, but he is not at all um, dictating parts. You know, yeah. uh, Mac and Mike will get more inside of the song and they'll go, hey, you know, I don't think that's going to work as well or maybe do this or that. I mean, they they expect everybody to do their homework, learn their parts and then everybody i'll tell you the band is very self-policing i mean it's an incredibly musical band yeah, yeah. um i mean all the guys i mean practically everybody in the band has solo rec- records out i mean which is kind of in- interesting the singers each have records the background singers have records um and now that i think about it most everybody has done a solo rec- record so you know there's no getting by at the end of a gig if somebody somebody clammed or somebody did something wrong everybody heard it you know um um, so there's a really cool accountability to keep it musical, um, and to keep it, keep it right. Um, that's, that's but Jimmy cool. in particular is not going to turn around and just go like, you know, this is what I want. This is what I want. He's, you know, if you keep good time, like when we're doing the hybrid, the little breakdown group, um, I mean, the main thing is just making sure that he has got enough time and solid time that he can do his thing, you know? And, and, and is is there a different setup? I mean, are you guys running ears? Is there? You said there's a couple loops on a, 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 that happen a few times, but uh, how produced is the live situation? The live situation is. I tell people all the time. It's what I love about the gig is after the opening song. It's um, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, he has a set list. But at any given time, he could turn around. He's got a little uh, microphone that he um, that he wears, and so he may turn around and change the set list. Um, so he's got about we got about twenty five songs a night that we play, of which twenty of them are sort of standard. We have to play, um, but I would say now about a third of the of the show I've created loops for. I mean, the band likes to play with the click. Um, there are certain songs that we all kind of agree that don't need to be on a click, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of them that, you know, a lot of the ones that need to have more percussion. There's, I mean, I've only got two hands and two feet, you know, and, and so um, I program things that I feel will be musical and helpful yeah. for the for the band and for the audience. Um, but the show is, is very, you know, you it changes from venue to venue, which I love. Thank goodness. You know, we are, it's not like here's the tour and the set list will never change. I mean, after the opening song, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what keeps it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a, a key component in really creating a strong bond in a, in a band situation. Yeah. Well, it keeps everybody on their toes. I mean, if, 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 if we have a 40 city tour and this is our set list and we're not going to change it, I think everybody's going to, the potential for things to get boring is really there. Right. You know, it's like all of a sudden everybody's dialing it up. I mean, I love the fact that it's going to change. Um, the fact that not everything is, is on a loop is, is great. I know a lot of bands, everything's clicked out, everything's looped out. It's like, that is not the case. And, and if there is a loop, then it's, there's a reason for it. You know, yeah, yeah. um, the, the drummer and I will look at each other and he'll go, you want to do a click? I'm like, nah, you know, nah, let's not do it. You know, <laughs> because sometimes, sometimes it's just more musical for it to not have a loop, you know, or a click track. I mean, um, 
for us, the bottom line is that Jimmy needs to re- remain Jimmy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sorry, who's so, the drum set player on Jimmy's? Uh, Roger Guth. Roger Guth is the okay. drummer. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, every, you know, I would say it started out with maybe three or four songs that we did loops on. Some of the big production stuff that needs a lot of percussion. Um, and that's cool. And it comes across great. And then it's it's grown to maybe, like I said, about a third of this of the show either has a click or some other element um, of percussion in there that I can't cover, you know, if I'm doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you start with Jimmy? Two, 2011. 2011. Okay. I'm I'm thinking that you were on this gig uh, that I saw down in Mississippi. It was he was opening up the uh, Margaritaville Casino in Mississippi, yes, right along the coast. There. And uh-huh. I was working with a band that drove down from Nashville to play there in the casino that week. And oh, gosh. we had a nice crowd inside. You guys started. Everyone left. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, a, I'm just a side man. That's the good news. I tell everybody, I'm just the tambourine player. <laughs> Ladies, I'm just the tambourine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I had this question for you, too. Why is it, maybe you can shed some light on this, why is it that everybody calls every hand drum that ever existed bongos? What is that about? I don't know. Boy, that's a... <laughs> That's a loaded question. Or Congos. <laughs> or Congo. Hey, play some Congo. You know, I, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, but I will say if there's ever a time, I can't tell you how many people are loving getting into percussion now. You know, yeah, um, dude. Um, the drummers that are playing that are, you know, now it's it's uh, um, I actually I did a tracking date the other day. You mentioned Steve Brewster and Steve and I just played on a tracking session a couple of weeks ago. And and we were talking about that, about that whole drummer slash percussion hybridy thing versus just a, a guy that's a percussionist. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, the thing about, you know, I mean, I wake up and I go, you know, when, when people go, what do you do? Well, I'm a, I consider myself a percussionist composer. And I, and then my third thing is I'm sort of a high, you know, I have a hybridy thing because I started on drum set and then I, I eventually kind of moved away from drum set into percussion. But now it seems like I'm coming back to playing some drum set, but I don't, I play drum set, but I don't play drum set. I don't pretend to be a quote-unquote drum set player, but I incorporate all that. But Steve and I were talking about that, about the whole element of percussion that so many drummers are, are and it's great. You know, you got a really great drum set player, and then all of a sudden he's got some cool percussion things, and, and he's hearing tones and sounds. He may not, he or she may not be schooled necessarily mm-hmm. in all the percussion, mm-hmm. but they've got a musical sense that, hey, these are some cool tones that I can add. Um, and so... And Steve was one of the first guys that I knew of in Nashville that, that was really doing that. You know, he'd play a drum set part or he would incorporate percussion into his little drum set rig. So um, uh, it was a very cool effect, cool sonically, you know. Um. There, there, there's, I feel like there's different uh, uh, stages in development of our instrument, being that it's such a young instrument. as Well, not percussion, but I mean the drum, going back to drum set being such a... a a young instrument, and it's, and, and and you see different iterations over the last, you know, hundred and twenty years, of it 
you know, having this being the standard setup and then another thing and then another thing and uh, style of music and technology influencing all of those things. I, th- I feel like we're going through this new growth spurt uh, with uh, technology starting to kind of take a little bit of a back seat and people wanting organic sounds again. And the ability of technology to capture those sounds and uh, us to be able to play them and accessibility to different kinds of uh, ethnic instruments as the world becomes, as the world community becomes a little bit smaller and accessible. Um, maybe uh, all those things have influenced in our, uh, the development of our, of our instrument and inspires people you know, in new ways, which is really, really fun. I agree. One of the ways that I discovered more about you was uh, probably about three years ago. Speaking of technology, um, so again, I was working with Robert Counts, and Jimmy says, hey, uh, can you make loops? And we're we're thinking about using some stuff in the future. I'm I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Of course, at the time, I didn't, you know. I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I said, yeah, I but can you, do that. But, but you said yes. But I you said, said yes. yes, of course I do. Of course I do. And then, I, and then on my way home, I, I called my friend and I said, I need some help, dude. I've got to figure out yep. how to do this. Good for you. Good, good for you to say yes and good for you to get help. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's the right answer. I, yes, yes, I do everything you want me to do. I, I, I can do it all. Well, that's it, good. I'm, I'm, you know, it's like I was shifting gears in, in the work that I was doing and I'm, I'm trying to create job security, you know, and all sure. these different things. But uh, so one of the things, so they're like, okay, we're going to get you some of the sessions. We want to use some percussion stuff that we used on the sessions. And I want you to go ahead and build that from there. Great. No problem. So they sent me all of your tracks to okay. build the thing and to use them at my discretion. And I came across some of the traditional things, tambourines and shakers. But then even within that, I noticed... Oh, there's like two tambourine parts. There's two eighth note tambourine parts. It's not eighth note tambourine part and then a single hit. Mm-hmm. There's multiple tambourines, multiple shakers, all doing the same thing, but creating different tones and these different parts. Then one of the things that completely blew me away was a almost like a crash. It wasn't it didn't sound like a crash or a china, but it was some sort of symbol that was accenting the drum set cymbal crash at the top of a section or wherever it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those things that without it, I would notice. But with it, I didn't notice it as much in the track. But when I became more aware of it, if you took right. it out, it, it it was like the the bottom, it was fine. It was fine, but you elevated that accent in such a subtle way that I had never heard before. And it was something as simple as that, that just blew my mind. And it, 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 even on your website, you talk about uh, going outside the box. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like even as something as simple as that and being aware of the arrangement and how to accent that, where does that come from? I think that comes from my love and study of the percussion world. And I say that going, started on drum set, started with a snare drum, mm-hmm. went to a drum set, and then I got into classical percussion. You know, I studied 
timpani and I studied mallets and then I got into hand percussion. And so I have a, I say this all the time. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a jack of all, master of none, and I'm happy about that because if I, that's part of the growth, you know. As we're, we're learning, I mean, I, I, I want to be a better timpani player. I want to be a better vibes player. I want to be a better conga, you know. So I wake up every day with that learning desire. Now, having said all that, I there is something. Uh, maybe it's a gift. I, 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 not maybe. I do think it's a gift. I like to look at everything, like I said earlier, about how how is this affecting the listener mm. and so when i you know if we're talking about studio um and making a record or or specifically the, the the tracks you're talking about um i'm thinking about how do what do i contribute to make this track grow keep it musical keep it interesting and so um how do I create energy? How do I create? I'm always thinking about when I when somebody comes in or if I go working on a, if I go work on a track, I'm going, what do I need to do? What would make this better? What what would bring this more energy? And why okay, why would you use two tambourines? Well, I might use a bright tambourine for the backbeat, and I might use a real dark tambourine to tuck in with the hi-hat because the hi-hat to me is too bright. And a mm. lot of this is sort of my how I listen to something i'm like okay so why would you do two shaker parts well i'll put a thin shaker part that is accenting different than the hi-hat in the verses and then in the chorus i'm going to add a really thick shaker and add a maraca to it that's going to give it a real crunchy energy so i'm thinking about how do i create all these subtle um nuances I'm a big fan of, and this is always, it's funny you, you mentioned about subtle because I've always been one of those guys. I've tried to be one of those guys that I don't, I like percussion to be felt and not heard necessarily. I don't need to be, you know, I like what I do to be musical. I hope what I do is musical yeah. and I'm not a big fan of my stuff being mixed really loud unless there's a relevant reason for it. Um, but I'm, I'm reminded when you were talking about, I did a, a number of records for Brad Paisley um, Brad Paisley, Darius Rucker. There was a handful of projects that I would do with a certain producer in Nashville. Um, and there was a, we would spend days on these, what I would consider to be fairly traditional country records. And it's exactly what you had said. It's like, you know, if, if you take it away, you'll miss it. Yeah. But what I was doing in there, well, like on a Brad record is I would do a couple of different shaker parts, um, a couple of different tambourine parts. Um, I might even do like an extra little brush snare part, you know, and all of it was the purpose was to make the groove better or to make it more musical, um, to enhance it musically. And that if you took it out, you're going, Ooh, something's missing. But when you left it in, it's like, Oh man, this is feeling good. Or, or, you know, you mentioned about what do you add on like, like the last chorus or like on the bridge, I may double a crash symbol. Well, what I'll do is I'll double a crash symbol with maybe like my hubcap that I've distorted. And yeah. when you mix that distorted hubcap really low, you don't hear it, but you feel it. I'm all about, there's things that, that I do that you feel uh, prime example was um, there was a song that Brad did called whiskey lullaby. Yeah. And I think we played, three big concert bass drums. Well, that ended up being a huge part of that track. I mean, it's a great song and Allison and, and Brad did an amazing job vocally. But as far as the musical side, that bass drum ended up being, it was such a 
big part of the song. I mean, I ended up, I think I ended up playing on the CMAs with it. I mean, they wanted that bass drum to be that part of the deal. That's um, so cool. And and you sit there and you go, that's just a bass drum. Well, yeah, but it was mm. part of creating the cinematic. It it added to the lyric. Um, it added to the whole presentation of the song. And so that's that's kind of the way I approach things. Is um, what is this doing? How does this contribute? Um, to the song and i have to i'm reminded again as i'm talking i'm thinking about this um danny gottlieb you know the yeah pat metheny's original drummer who i'm just a huge i was always a huge fan of sure. Pat he still am and, yeah. and I'm, I'm a huge fan of danny's playing there was an interview of him years ago years ago um and he made a comment because you know all of his intricate symbol work and all that which is you know there's a lot going on and he said something to the reference of Everything I play has a reason. And I'll never forget that. And I thought, that's the way I want to be. I want everything that I play to have a reason. Mm. You know, why do you have three shaker parts? Well, there's a reason. There yeah. is a reason. I'm not just cluttering up. I, I tell, I mean, I just finished sending off a track <laughs> to a bluegrass group. And um, again, doing it, you know, in my studio. And, and um, I sent them, I don't know how many tracks, but I wanted them to have, there's a reason why, I gave them three different bass drums because one of them has a bigger tone and that's not going to come into the last chorus, you know, but that's creating an energy. It's like, does it really matter? Well, I think it does. You know, I think at the, by the time the end of the song comes, I can create this low end energy or I might give them a gong that's mixed really low. Um, I remember when I first started doing some country records, I would bring out some, you know, these are traditional country artists with traditional country producers. And I would bring out things like thunder sheets and gongs and they'd go, what are you doing? I'm like, Hey, just, <laughs> just don't look at what I'm doing. Listen, don't look. If you look at what I'm doing, you're not going to like it. Cause they, I'll never forget. It was, I'm going to be honest with you. It was a Reba McIntyre record. And the producer said to me, I'm not sure Reba's going to want a gong on her record. I said, okay. I said, just, just humor me and let me, let me play it and let me put it in the mix the way we think it's going to, the way it should be. And it ended up being a, a cool lift. You yeah. really couldn't tell what it was, but it ended up being a really cool dramatic part going into, maybe it might've been going into the bridge or the outro, but you know, that's sort of been my motto, I would say, or, or, or sort of how I've approached. It's like everything that I play and do has a reason behind it, yeah. you know? Um, and the guys that have worked with me over the years know that it's like, all right, just do your thing. You know, I trust right. you. Right. Right. You know, um, there's, there's a handful of producers that, um, and I'm not going to drop names, but it's like, they're like, I want, uh, there's one in particular who's, who's an incredibly gifted, um, world-class pr producer friend of mine, actually. And he goes, he got mad at me once. He said, I want to hear every idea that you have. Because I actually said to him, I said, well, I said, I've had, I had this idea for such and such, and I didn't, I didn't do it. And he, and he stopped me. He goes, hey, don't ever do that again. He was somewhat mad. He's like, if you've got an idea, I want to hear it. Yeah. Which, you know, and I think he's that way with everybody. I think he's one of those really creative producers, whether you're a drummer or a guitar player. It's like, if you got an idea, I want to hear it. Right. And um, so my approach has always been um, – everything that I do and I contribute, I want it to have a reason behind it. Right, um, right. You know, tone wise, you know, you had mentioned about the whole or organic, you know, elements and all that. And, and, and 
when people come to me, you know, and they'll go, Hey, I want it to be feel natural and earthy. Well, that, that tells me where I need to pull, you know, those instruments need to come from that drawer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and earthy and, and crunchy and all that, you know, they don't need sheeny tambourines or, or high endy things. They, they want to keep things earthy because there's a reason behind that. They want to, that may be part of the lyric that may be part of the vocal. I think about that too. It's like how, and what I'm doing, well, how, what, how are my parts affecting the vocal? You know, oh, um, yeah. I don't want to draw attention. That's another thing too. I've never been a fan. Like I said earlier, I don't, I don't like to draw attention away from the vocal or, or the main instrument. And so I'm always thinking about that too. I'm thinking about a lot. I mean, truth, now that I think about it, it's like, I'm thinking about a lot when I'm <laughs> listening, you know, guys will be talking to me in the studio. It's like, you know, I'm really talking to you, but I'm listening to the track. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm listening from beginning to end. How are my parts affecting the rest of the band, the lyric, the vocal? Um, you know, if, if it's a if it's a busy vocal, they don't need more busyness from me. You know. Um, anyways, they're, so that's, they're saying Eric. That's my rant. That's my rant. We're we're getting Hattie B's, man. You want super hot? And you're like, hey, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, whatever. Just yeah. uh, you're listening. So to the <laughs> I, I I probably overthink stuff, but it's you know I no that's I, I it's it's never you know I I, I told somebody re- recently. I mean, I've been doing what I've been doing for you know. 25 or 30 years and I'm still growing and learning, but, but it's somewhat worked. You know, I feel like it's, it's, um, this, for, for, for the most part, this podcast is, is we call it the working drummer for a reason. It's, it's like trying to get behind, get inside the mind of those that are making a living doing this, this, this very kind of odd, non-traditional thing. And, I feel like what you're telling us is, hey, this attention to detail, using oh. your ears, all these things have worked for me. And you're working with top-notch producers and songwriters that know this about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually had an interview. I was, um, there was an interview. I, I I was not in the interview, but I read it. It was an engineer and he actually used me. He was he was demoing some microphones or something, and and he actually said, "Oh yeah, I just used these microphones with with Eric Darkin, who's a really he's really detailed and fastidious about all of his sounds." And I thought, oh, that's, that's very very true. You know, <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh, um, I, I've never um, I've I've always been very I'm a I'm a perfectionist to some extent. I'm very detailed about, you know, I'm detailed. I tell people I'm detailed about the things that are important to me. You know, do I care where I eat? No. Do I, you know, there's a lot of things I just don't care about. Um, you know, I always joke about that with, with Mac or Jimmy when I'm out with them. It's like, I don't care where we eat. I don't care, you know, where we stay, you know, all these things. But when I, when I walk on stage or when it comes to the music and what I'm called to do or what I'm paid to do, I'm super detailed and I'm right. I am. I want it to be right. I want to do the best job I can possibly do. Um, I want my gear to be right. I want it to sound right. And so that's that's my approach. And and yeah, as far as the work, and I don't think there's any other drummer or any other musician out there that that wouldn't agree with me about the details make the difference. Yeah. Being aware. I always use the term lately. I've been. I always. I even tell this to my daughter. It's like be aware. Be aware about of what's out there. Keep your ears on. Be aware of, of your surroundings. And I'm that way in the studio. It's like be aware of what the song needs. 
Because a lot of times people will be like, you know, there's a lot of producers that will say to me, man, just I need some shaker and tambourine and, and maybe a conga. And what they're and then they'll say and then do your thing. Seriously, that's kind of what they'll do. They'll go, I'm hearing shaker tambourine, put a conga and uh, that's it. And, and then do your thing. And what they mean is I want to hear what you have to say. Right. You know, but this is what I hear. And then and so that's what I do. Do you have anything in your arsenal that's not a quote-unquote instrument? Oh, yeah. I mean, I use, uh, and it's become actually, yeah, there's uh, there's a handful of things, and they've actually become, um, it's gotten, it's funny, it's gotten to the point, there's a handful of producers that were like, don't forget your garden weasel. Well, I've got garden weasels <laughs> that are these metal, you know, they're, they're literally a garden weasel. I actually saw another percussionist years ago uh it was steve reed from the rippingtons okay um and i've seen other guys on film i've seen some film pictures from film dates and it's a real high when you shake them real gently they create this really cool shimmer well there's a producer about once every year will call me and go hey i'm doing this and this and by the way bring your stuff don't forget your garden weasel or there'll be guys who are like hey don't forget your hubcap i've got an old hubcap from a, a, an old car that I had that rather than it got banged up somehow, took it off. And I was like, I am not throwing this away. I ended up right. putting a spring on it. And now that's, I mean, Hey, do you have your hubcap? I mean, guys that have worked with me over the years know my arsenal of that's great. Hey, your hubcap, you're this. And I make a bunch of stuff. I mean, I'm always, I, t- I tell people I'm a big fan of, of rivets and sizzles. So I'll take, I'll take pieces of metal and I'll make rivets out of them. I'll put rivets in them and that's that's sort of a little, a jangly little uh, sizzle effect. That's great, man. That's so cool. There, there, uh, years ago, there's a producer I worked with. I walked in with my uh, sons. I bought him this little, like a mini djembe, almost like a doombeck mm-hmm. uh, when mm-hmm. he was a toddler. And I grabbed that and threw that in my arsenal and and ended up using he loved that thing and then yep. in, in future things he said man don't forget your son's drum <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean this is the other thing i've done and i've actually used it there was a uh, traveling i've actually gotten to the point there's a handful of things i would start to sample things in the room there's a there was a lampshade at a hotel that i was at mm. that was made out of metal and I, I was on the phone or something. I was walking around. I just kind of hit it, and it had this incredible sustain. And I'm like, oh, I am all over that. Yeah. And I got pro. I, you know, I, I travel with Pro Tools on the road, and so I literally made samples of it. And it, I can't tell you how many projects that I have used that on for again, kind of that lo-fi, cool metal effect. It's not a cymbal. It's not a gong. It's not, you know, but it's, you know, I've got two or three samples of that. I've done samples of, you know. I actually have a I actually have a session that's called hotel rooms and it's all samples that I have found using various cool tones from hotel rooms and that they end up on I can't I mean can't tell you how many records those have showed up on where I'll take the sample of a phone click or a a door slam you know oh, there's yeah. a really cool oh vibrant you know the shower door that's got a really great sound it's like okay that's free it's my my wife makes fun of me. Uh, my wife and my my best friend's wife they both make fun of us because I, I was in a hotel and I was on the third floor and it was one of those doors, those fire doors that closes. You know, it's mm-hmm. on a spring. Mm. And I I go to use the stairs to go down to the gym because I wasn't going to use the elevator. And uh, I open the door and the door closes. 
and there's this long, low overtone. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, that's amazing. I recorded it on my phone. I texted it to my friend. I came back after that trip. He had already put it in a session, <laughs> manipulated yeah. oh, it. Oh, sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that goes back to what we're talking about tech, the technology part of where we're at now. It's like, you know, uh, who was I talking to? Somebody had emailed me about wanting to, oh, it was another percussionist from out of town. And he was like, man, I want to get into it. And it honestly, there you go. It was, uh, it was the beginning of the COVID. He goes, man, I think I want to get into some recording. And I said, man, that's great. Call this company. They'll hook you up into a really basic little system. You can get into hard disk recording. You can get into it fairly inexpensively just to get a basic system going. Mm -hmm. I said, once you start doing that, it's endless. I mean, you can walk around your room. Um, I can't tell you how many times um, this is truth be told, a little secret. Most of the shakers that I use now are handmade. I use out of paper um, paper containers, and I fill them with you know sand or various you know I'll use. Uh, various little pastas or beans or rice or something. Sure. But I mean, I rarely am buying anything new or commercial. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's all, you know, I'm a big fan of paper and natural. I'm a big fan of natural. So, um, um that's so, yeah. okay. So I've, I've got to interrupt you cause that's, that's so amazing that you say that. Although I have to say, and you'll, you'll be happy to know, I picked up a minor square shaker a couple weeks ago and it's yep. it, it's it's about uh, it's about two and a half inches square, and then it came mm -hmm. with a little smaller guy as well. This yep. thing is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm I'm not anti any of that. I just thought so many of the and I use they've got Minos got a couple of they've got a double row or single row double row row uh, aluminum one that is kind of a nice swooshy. Um, I mean, I use all their tambourines. I use their cowbells. I mean, I mean, as far as the shaker world, there's so many of them out there that just, to me, are, are so crispy and so. Um, as far I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm just, I chase tones. I have to admit. I mean, anybody, and but that's a great you idea. Know this probably about me, but yeah. I, I chase tones so bad. I mean, I, I combine shakers and, and, I mean, I'm so bad. I, I just get inside <laughs> of these tracks, and I, and, and no, I really do. I, I just, it's just kind of how. This is what I've done. You know, I, I'm always going, how does the shaker work against all the instruments on the track? And I can't tell you how many times I'll think I've got it and then I'll chase it around, chase it around and do something else or add. Rarely do I pick up one shaker. Usually I'm, I'm combining two or three. That's you I know, mean, that's I'll, that's really great to know. I mean, just kind of your uh, just being really respectful of the details and the value that gives your work, you know, the, the people mm -hmm. see that in you and, and value that about, about you. I hope so. I mean, yeah. What it comes down to is we, we work in a creative field with songwriters and savants and people that need, uh, maybe have insecurities and, uh, you know, all different types of personalities in this mm -hmm. industry. And sometimes when, you just show that you care and there's interest in making their music come alive and pay attention. It elevates the, the, the situation and it, and, and it shows that you care. And I think people really appreciate that. And mm -hmm. it, it seems like conversation after conversation I've had with so many people on this podcast is when you make the person that hired you feel valued 
and you bring that vibe to the session, the gig, the, the bus trip, whatever it is, they want you on the gig. Yes. As much as your skill and talent, they want you there because you just elevate the whole vibe, you know? Right. It's a package deal. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's funny because, and I'm, and there's, you know, we mentioned two different people. We mentioned Steve and, um, Steve Brewster, um, and he, gosh, he and I have been friends for pushing 25 or 30 years. And, yeah. and, and both Steve and Mac McAnally, who I work with all the time, Steve made a comment years ago that I, I'll never forget. And I, I should remind him of it. We were, I forgot what happened. There was somebody had showed up late to a session, whatever it was, it might've been a demo session. It really, it doesn't matter what it was, but he made a reference. He's like, he said something that I'll never forget. He goes, he said, if you take the gig, show up on time and give them 110%. I mean, it was one of those things where mm-hmm. if you committed to the gig, and we, and everybody knows that. It's like, well, of course you do that. But there's a lot of people that just take gigs and they show up and they maybe show up late or they, you know, their their head's not in it. But, in, you know, I've I've always tried to do that. I know Steve has too. I mean, I've, um, when Steve takes a gig, he shows up. He's he's there. He is he's involved. He wants yeah. it to be great. Yeah. And I and I to be honest with you, that's my that's the way I want to approach things too. I, I um, um, Mac McAnally has a um, a phrase. He goes, "I I want to be a better player." He goes, and he's talked about. He and I have talked on many road trips about. I want to make music better. He goes, when somebody calls me and wants me involved in their project, I want to make a song better. And we've talked. And there's a lot of times that we'll go into the studio. Where the you know, truth be told, this may not be a great song, may not be a great singer. There's a lot of things that may be wrong about everything you know it's it, there's you know it's a bad studio maybe the song isn't good the players aren't that great whatever our job is to how can we make it better how can i make something better at the end of the day yeah. and and that's always been my approach too is is okay this song needs a lot of work or this song needs a lot of help what can i do to make it be- better you know and that's been my approach i've never really tried never to go well it's just a B artist. It's not some big name artist. You know, I try to treat, you know, a name artist the same as I would treat, you know, a new songwriter that came over to my house to, to do overdub, some new singer songwriter who's barely out of college who has a bad song. I want to treat them the same way as I would treat, you know, Bob Seger or Jimmy Buffett or whoever I'm work, working with. Sure. And, and sure. that's been my motto is I want it to be great. What can I do to make it great? A drummer, Risa drummer, I, I spoke to not too long ago, did a demo for Luke Combs before anyone who sure. knew who Luke Combs was. Yeah, and and treated it with the utmost respect and did the job. And next thing you know, it became one of the singles. <laughs> sure. Yep. Um, that happened to a guitar player friend of mine many years ago. He went and did a demo for somebody, uh, a singer songwriter. Um, I think he got 50 bucks for the demo months later, or maybe a year later, the girl got picked up by a major label and the producer from LA flew my friend out there to play on the record because he wanted the exact player. So he went from 50 bucks to goodness knows how much he got paid to fly to LA just to play on that song. <laughs> so you just don't know. I'm always a fan of the phrase. You don't know who's, who's listening. Yeah. Um, well, you, you talk about the traditional country session, 
and, uh, and, and bringing in non-traditional things. But w- there's a couple things that you've done. Well, let's say a couple. There's been many things that you've done that have been non-country. Uh, and one of the things that stood out to me was Megadeth. Oh, yes. So what, what does one play percussion-wise on a Megadeth record? That is a completely, for the most part, that is a cinematic approach. And I say cin- cinematic, uh-huh. meaning I approached it. The music is so, obviously, we know it's just large and, you know, it's, it's, it's huge. Those, those, are, those are huge records just sonically, you know, big drums, big guitars. And so my role, I approached it um, very cinematic, very orchestral. I mean, timpani, chimes, orchest- very orchestral. Okay. Chimes, gong bass drum um picture painting i use the phrase picture painting um i don't think we played a whole lot of shakers and tambourines um but it was basically how do we um and 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 a lot of times producers will use the phrase we need transitional percussion meaning um uh section to section you know it's like do we need swells we need something to bring us from maybe the verse to the chorus or the chorus to the bridge, you know, how do we, how do we paint a picture with per- percussion? Yeah. And so there, there it's, there it's going to be a timpani or a chime or um, something to that effect. Um, so that is my, that's always been my approach. Well, I think we just did, I, I've done two or three projects for them and we did one the last couple of years. Um, and the same sort of thing, the producer came over and goes, okay, this is, um, very much sound effects. You know, we were bowing gongs, bowing cymbals, oh, cool. timpani. Um, so that's that's my approach for for that. It is not the same approach for Brad Paisley as it is for Megadeth. <laughs> just just heads up, folks. Just heads up. <laughs> uh, I, I think one one of the questions I had written down was just kind of terminology or descriptors that producers use. Uh, to get you to do a certain thing. And, and you've already talked about that transition percussion, uh, organic, uh, maybe uh, ominous tones and things like that. Is there anything that somebody has said that you're like, what What do they mean? Or how do you interpret that? Um, when somebody says transitional or somebody yeah, talks about what yeah, they... For sure. Well, transitional to me is, you know, in a, in a typical song form, you've got an introduction, you've got a verse, you've got a maybe a, a, what we call a B section, then a chorus, you know, so you've got throughout the song, you've got, you've got different sections of the song. And it's like, when I say, when somebody says transitional percussion, or sometimes I'll say that too, Hey, we need some, we need to let people know they're going from section to section. Not that people need to know that, but their ears need to know that it's Mm -hmm. more of what, what can I do to make the listener know that they're transitioning from a verse to a chorus? Cause sometimes, um, you know, the drummer may have been instructed to just play a real linear drum part, you know, I mean, which is not a bad thing. You know, some sometimes the drummer's like, hey, they just want me to play a train beat from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. That's what the producer wanted. And I go, well, that's cool, but it's the same thing over and over. How is that affecting the the listener? And so I'll go, why don't we put in a maybe a cymbal swell or we'll do some sort of effect. Um, I mean, cymbal swells are sort of a typical, you know, go-to for anybody. Um, but what can I do to let the ear know that we're moving from a chorus to a verse or a verse to a B section? That may be a cymbal scrape. It may be a triangle. It may be something. It's really more of like a, 
what I call ear candy. Yeah. What what lets the listener know, hey, we're we're doing something, and sometimes that transition may only happen. I, I've become more, and the older I see, the older I get, the, I feel like the less I'm playing, or the more I really want what I play to have relevance. I'm waiting more and more towards the end of the song to put those transitional things in. I might wait till the last chorus to go, hey, we're we're bumping another level. You know, that's another phrase I'll use is, hey, why don't we let's let's bump this up a level. You know, we're going from a verse to a chorus. Some little transitional thing can help. And, and even if it is a cymbal swell, what I'll do is a cymbal swell and put an effect on it. And if you lower it in the mix, you, you may not even hear it, but you'll feel it. Yeah. Now, again, going back to what I was saying earlier about feeling things and not hearing them. Um, so that's, you know, and, and um, when I say transitional things, and it could, whether it's me, it could be a steel player. A lot of times they'll say to me, hey, you know, we want to put some transitional things in. But for example, on a country record, if the steel guitar player or the pedal steel players doing a swell, you don't need me to do that. Or mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. what I play needs to embellish that. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. why I may use a dark thunder sheet or something like that. If the if the pedal steel's in the upper range, then maybe I can do something with a lower sounding cymbal that will go, okay, that that sits with that. Um so that's that's what I mean by tran- transitional. And it also sounds like you're 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 knowing that the the listener is 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 hearing this chorus for the third or fourth time, and so here's right. an opportunity to bring some of that ear candy in to lift sure. that up again. Make, yeah, you know, one of the things too I might do, and I, I, you know, even if there's a drum set part, I'm not afraid to add a, a floor tom part, or I'm not afraid to add, yeah. you know, maybe like a, a an aux snare part that has this little, oh, what is that? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, Again, that comes back to to sitting back and listening to the track from the big picture standpoint. You know, what does this need? What is the listener? What is going to help the listener grab the song um, and enjoy the song? Can you talk about the band Moon Taxi and some of the stuff you've recorded for them and how that changes? That's that's more in the kind of pop world compared mm-hmm. to the country or the Megadeth thing that we've talked about. Um, Sure. Uh, I mean, they're from Nashville, and yeah. um, I've actually gotten to know their drummer pretty well. We've been hanging out a li- little bit. Um, Moon Taxi is a band from Nashville, and um, they were working with Jakir King, who I've worked with over the years. And it was one of those um, situations where they've got a self-contained band. Um, that started, they had demos. That's This is how it was, because this is how Jakir and I work. Um he would send me demos that the band had and he would have me build loops. That's what it was. He was having me build um, loops that the band could come in and play over. Oh, wow. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and what they would do is I would, I would create loops and, and percussion things for them to play with. And then they would send the stuff back to me after they had tracked the record and I would add more, which is an awesome way to work. Um, so I would kind of be able to work on it from the front end. And then when they were finished, I could go back and listen to the edits and listen to where the tracks ended up on. Um, but man, that, that, those guys are great. What a, some amazing songs. Yeah. And they're wide, you know, as far as wide open. Um, and, and J- Jakir is that type of producer too. He's, 
you know, he is an open palate to anything. You know, I've worked with him on a variety, you know, Kaleo and James Bay and a number of other projects. But Moon Taxi, you know, I have played everything from marimba to timpani to chimes to hand percussion. I mean, I'm, you know, it is an open field. Um, they're open to anything um, That's awesome. that I want to at least share with them. I mean, I'm not saying they're using everything, but I mean, they are they are very open to to the palettes of percussion that I that I offer. Very melodic, strong, modern band for sure. Oh, amazing! Oh, yeah. great songs, great singer. Yes. Um, yeah, recent discovery for me. That's they're they're great. It's it's really nice to hear that kind of music coming out of Nashville. You know, to oh, gosh, to, yeah. to keep people from pigeonholing uh, Nashville. I want to ask about sample libraries. This has been a relatively new thing in the industry, and I know you've been involved with it. it can you speak to this thing, and and when did it kind of first come on your radar? as far as it being a source of work or potential revenue? Mm -hmm. I was introduced to it. Um, well, I believe it or not, I, I had, I had heard about, you know, Hey, we're going to sample this, you know, we're going to use this kind of sample or triggers or, mm -hmm. um, that sort of reference, you know, obviously 20 plus years ago, my first introduction to it was, um, there was a, uh, gentleman out of the east coast that was doing a sample library that i did called discrete drums and um he was he did a couple of libraries with a couple of drummers in nashville and he asked me to do his engineer friend was steve marcantonio who's an engineer in nashville a good friend of mine and a great engineer in nashville and and uh, steve actually put me together with um his friend out of New Jersey. And, and we basically, that was the first introduction to me doing, I did my own sample library. We took samples. We basically went into the studio for a couple of days and did samples of all my gear. We did basically one shots. We really didn't do patterns as much as went through all my arsenal of sounds, you know, everything from, um, you name it. I mean, I was sampling toilet seats, dropping to <laughs> rain, you know, to curtain rods, hitting curtain rods, um, if I could find it and play samples on it, um, I would make samples and do it. And, and, and but I'd use, I would use tr traditional drums too. I mean, I did brush hits on snares, but the long and the short of it is that, that library actually ended up getting, I think it was an electronic magazine, um, ended up awarding it one of the new cool libraries that came out. I forgot how many years ago it was, but it actually ended up getting a little bit of a buzz, as far as an innovative little percussion library, I actually still use it. I, I have it on my desktop and, and pull from it because there's still some samples in there that I, you know, there's brushes on flower pots. There's some really cool old um, kind of hybrid-y, you know, I'd mic, I'd mic drums, you know, snare drums from the bottom. Anything that was sort of non-traditional is what I did on that. That's why it was... You know, I think it was not the typical drum library. So I did that library. And then I guess it was about five years ago, the guys from That Sound, who are from Nashville, mm -hmm. um, asked me to do a, a library of shakers and tambourines. And I basically did, I took all my favorite shakers and tambourines and I did sample libraries, you know, actually played rhythms um, at various tempos. Um, with both shakers and tambourines. And then we also did some one shots 
and did some other hand per- percussion samples as well. And that's, that's, I think it's still out there, um, through that sound. Yeah. But so that's, I've done a couple of libraries and I, you know, uh, people have asked me to do, you know, I've been toying about doing some, some new ones as well. And do have you gotten into doing samples of, of compositions, maybe short 20, 30 second, two minute type composition? Uh, well, I've written a bunch of, mm-hmm. I've written over the years for various music library companies. I mean, I started writing 25 years ago, writing underscores for various musical production houses out of, it was one, some of them are out of California, some of them are out of Texas, um, where they would ask, you know, they would, they would ask me to write, you know, two minute pieces of, you know, percussion based, they would be like dramatic you know, underscore pieces that they could sell to film and TV. And, and it was obviously very percussion driven. So it would be like a cool little pad or, a, or some sort of musical bed, but with sure. a lot of percussion. So it was all based around, Hey, we need you to do your percussion thing. Um, but I've branched out, I've done more just, you know, just traditional composing, you know, song composing as well. You wouldn't even know a percussionist did it. You know, I kind of like to, that's, that's sort of my my other hat that I like to do. I like to sort of wake up and and be Eric, the composer that nobody knows. <laughs> if nobody knows who I am, it's like I didn't even know he was a drummer or per- percussionist. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like those things are so important to to explore because it it informs you about how you want to approach other people's songs, other people's work as a mm-hmm. percussionist, and especially when you have a, a good grip on song structure and theory and and so what other instruments do you play well i play i play you know timpani and i do all the mallets i play sure. vibes and marimba and i mean i do pretty much all of the percussion in, instruments but i i write on piano i mean I, I have a basic you know i'm not a i don't think i'm consider myself a serious pianist by any means but i do compose yeah. and program on keyboards and and to go back to what you said about about writing and composing and producing, I truly think I, I've told people all the time, everybody, everybody should produce a record or a song because it'll force you on the other side of the glass. It'll force you into a position of having to make decisions and having to work with other people. And, and it'll bring, it'll bring people a different perspective of the responsibility and how, you know, when the decision is yours to, you know, what drum sounds, what vocal sounds, how do I want this mixed? You know? Um, and I think I started composing and produce, I mean, I produced a bunch of records, uh, back in the nineties, um, a bunch of instrumental records, um, for a company in Nashville, just, and it, and it was such an incredible, I got paid to learn how to produce projects and make decisions. And some of them, I made some really bad decisions and some of them were, were, were good. You know, there's some records that I did. I'm like, man, this is actually pretty darn good. And then there's some, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what, what was I thinking? <laughs> but, but I put, you know, the, the good news about doing that is it allows me, I bring that into a session. I mean, those decisions, good and bad, allow me to walk into a session and go, you don't want to do that. And they'll go, well, why not? Cause I'm telling you, you don't want to do that because I've had that experience and that's just not going to work. Sure, you know? Sure. Um, so producing records, um, writing and composing, you know, does allow, um, that is a big part of, I think what I bring to the table 
beside being a player. You know, it's like I, I sort of bring a full package. And I feel that way with other, you know, other musicians, whether it's drums, guitar, keyboards, you know, you know, some of my favorite musicians to, musicians to work with are guys that are themselves composers and, and artists, you know, um, because they have such a deep perspective of, of the whole concept of, of the song and the production and how a song is supposed to come across. You know, Mac, I mean, I'm bringing up Mac again. Mac is a, is a genius at that. I mean, Mac is, um, it's so funny cause I've, I've, I've hired him to play on some of my stuff. And it's so interesting because he'll, he enjoys just being a side man. He'll come and go, yeah, just tell me what you want, you know? <laughs> but in the back of my mind, I also know I've got 30, 40, 50 years of a guy that's been, he's been in the trenches as a producer, songwriter, performer you know it's like i'm getting all of that on on this track um uh one of my favorite things too is is when i work with engineers um that they themselves are producers and mu musicians yeah. i mean there's no greater thing than to work with a with an engineer who himself is a great guitar player or key or keyboardist i mean what they bring to the table musically you know not only technically but musically i mean gosh that's that's huge to me I learned so much from from those experiences when I first moved here. It's mm. it's it's such. It, I remember working with a friend of mine, a great musician, and he was engineering and producing. And I would do something, and he'd say, "Hey, man, that that sounds good. If I were a drummer, I'd like that. But for the song, mm. uh, I need more of this, you know." And and it was that idea, you know, that just kind of shifting your focus on what is needed on the session. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we spend so much time honing our craft and uh, trying to relate to exactly what you're, what you're covering here is that as, say, as, as drummers, as, 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 as someone that's focused on one instrument and uh, there's so much information and we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to get better, we want to do all these things and then you look online and you see people doing all this crazy stuff on Instagram and YouTube. Then you go to the gig or the session and you realize you need to focus on the music right now, right here and mm -hmm. what's needed uh, to kind of compartmentalize. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, and you know this too, cause you've worked, I know you've worked with some great musicians. I mean, I find it, it's not embarrassing, but it's like, it's such a blessing when I go to work with other musicians, especially that are older and, and have been doing it longer than me. It's like a I get paid to to learn. When I when I sit in a room with with other session guys or non session whoever you know, um, um, to watch how they approach a song. I mean, I'll never forget years ago working on a record um, for somebody, and it was a you know Leland Sklar was playing bass. Oh, wow. um, uh, who was I'm trying to think of the whole band. It was a, it was a, an amazing amazing band. Um, and the keyboard player, oh, Shane Keister was playing keyboards. He was just an amazing uh, pianist, session player. And I remember sitting in there going, oh, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to hear all this amazing music. And these guys are going to, you know, in my mind, I was just like, okay, this is going to be awesome. And, and it was awesome. But the first song we pulled up, I'm like, okay, I'm sitting there, I'm listening, and I'm playing, and I'm li listening and looking around the room. And the intro, first verse, first chorus, nothing. Nothing from Shane, the keyboard player. His first entrance was the first turnaround, and it was this simple little Fender Rhodes line, descending line, and that was it. Yeah. And I'm talking about it 20-some <laughs> years later because it had such an impact. Like, 
He waited, what, a minute and a half to play. Didn't even think about it. Didn't play the intro, didn't noodle on it, didn't. That was his first entrance. And it had such a profound effect on me that it's okay to wait. It's okay to, you know, he had the confidence to wait. You know, and, and I mentioned Leland Sklar. I mean, Leland's the same way. I mean, these, I mean, his, his command of his instrument, his command of what, of how a song is supposed to be crafted. I mean, every day I feel like, you know, that I get to track with somebody. I, I, I get to learn from amazing keyboard players and guitar players. Um, it, it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just blown, blown away and blessed that I get to be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, people always say, it's not what you play, it's what you don't play. Oh, you know, couldn't agree more. Those I couldn't of... agree. I mean, I'm to the place now. I mean, the, the good news about, and this is another thing, I mean, I would encourage anybody, anybody who's listening, or I say this all the time to people that will call me, there's new musicians, not just on drums or percussion, but new musicians coming into town. They'll go, hey, I'm new, and I'm a friend of so-and-so, and they said they're calling, and, and it's that's great. And I'll go, hey, do you have... Do you have a home recording situation? Even if you're not necessarily doing sessions, but to be able to record yourself and to learn, yeah, you know, to be able to go, hey, wow, I didn't realize I, you know, man, did I really do that? Or did I sound like that? Or am I, you know, I do that every time I'm playing a shaker part. I mean, whatever I'm playing, I'll go, I, I get I get the chance to to listen back and to go, oh, wow, that's how I'm that's how I'm swinging that shaker or that's where I'm placing my congas or wow, I'm, I'm swinging that, but like, I don't want to swing it. You know I mean? The, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the tape doesn't lie, you know? And, and, um, I mean, what an awesome opportunity that we have with home studios to be able to, you know, well, and you don't even need, a, need a, necessarily a home studio. I mean, the opportunity to record on your phone or anywhere. Sure. Do, to do just that. To, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. I had a four track, cassette recorder that I would take the live gigs and just plug a 57 into it and drop it on the floor and record, turn the cassette yep. over, record, turn the cassette back over, put it in channel two, which was the right half of the cassette, mm -hmm. <laughs> record, flip it back over, and so record four sides of a cassette, then put it in my car and pan it hard left and hard right to listen to the different... <laughs> It's great. It's brutal. Absolutely. But I, I, oh, it's oh, it's a brutal. Yeah. I tell yeah, people is. there's a there's pros and cons. I mean, everyone thinks oh, it's brutal. It's it's there's there's you get to hear everything, all the mistakes and everything you thought you were doing you weren't doing. But then there's the the silver lining to that is you hear yourself do something to react in the moment that is like wow that was cool. I gotta yep. remember that. I'm gonna do that again. That is, yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that I want to work on and be, be better at. I mean, I mentioned earlier about, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very detailed, and I, I use the word controlling, and I don't mean that in a bad way because sometimes, you know, it's good to good to be hands on about everything. But one of the things I'm trying to grow as is is just play and not overthink stuff. You know, just be a knack. Because you know, there's there's sometimes I'll I'll listen to drummers, percussionists, or any musician that just have a real free approach you know they don't think about the click they're, they're just playing and and it's like i love that i, I want to be more i mean there's times that i want to be more like 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 that sure sure um um not be so tied to you know um to the click or to the you know um i don't want to be boxed in i want to be as as free of a player as i can be yeah it's tough especially with modern music and 
technology uh, sometimes dictating uh, the music in in a way that that is becomes so stiff. Uh, right. Let me. You have such a, a deep discography of 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 music you've recorded over the years and different artists. Is there any artist or situation that you've been on or experienced that stands out? Mm. Wow. Um, I, I knew you were going to ask me this um, <laughs> or something like it. I was like, oh, I gotta, I, you know, the artist, you know, there's, there's, um, I, I'm, I'm, it's going to sound like I'm name dropping and I guess I am name yeah, dropping. Sure. Um, um, uh, when I think of experiences over the years that, that come to me, um, I, you know, Bob Seeger has always just been the kindest, hardest working artist I've ever worked with. Really, one of the few. I mean, one of. I mean, I've worked with. I mean, I have. I, I have worked with a number of of wonderful artists. Sure. Um, but Bob is. He loves making records. He loves the art of making records. He will chase parts. I mean, time doesn't matter. He'll come in and book me for a day to work on a couple of songs, and he'll chase a cowbell part. He'll want to listen to it. He 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 is not the type that's like, hey, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, he, well, I use the term chasing after that's kind of like the, my, my latest thing I like to say is, mm-hmm. and, and what I mean by chasing it, meaning let's chase this until we, we get it right, you know? Um, and, and he is patient about making music. He's patient about the parts. Um, so, I mean, Bob is great. I did, I worked on a, um, uh, Art Garfunkel record. Actually, we'd worked on Art's record during nine 11. Which oh, wow. was very interesting because he was from New. He was in Nashville when nine eleven happened. And of course, we were working on his record. And you know, when when you hear that voice, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, just from an iconic standpoint, that was that was great. Um, I always tell people it's fun. Um, I worked on Taylor Swift's first record, and it was fun to go. Um, uh, you know, I remember working on the first batch of songs with Nathan Chapman, uh, which was their, her first kind of big single was Tim McGraw. Right. And I'll never forget her dad being in the studio going, hey, you know, this is my daughter's record. And what do you think? And I'm going, well, it's, it sounds like a 16, 17 year old girl singing country music. You know, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking to myself, it's it's cool. You know, it's it's and it's fun being a part of records. I like being a part of records that that nobody knew about that ended up being you know doing really well you know i i I mean taylor was this little girl that you know this little country singer the next thing i know i'm in kroger and there's taylor on the cover of people magazine you know whoa okay and then i worked on a number of records after that and she's always been kind to me you know every time i've i've been in the studio with her um miranda lambert was another one that you know was nobody that that has ended up being great um Oh gosh, just a, a, a number. I'm trying to think who else. Obviously, you know, Mac and Jimmy are are great. Um, Sounds like it, yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, one of the ones I'm I'm super proud of that um, was great to work with was James Bay, who's who um, was a you know I hate to say nobody, but he really was fairly uh, not very well known. Um, uh, Jakir King produced his record a number of years ago, and he goes, "Hey, I got this singer songwriter. I'm going to send you a couple of demos and." And we're, you know, we're going to start this. I want you to program and play on this. And, and I remember hearing the scratch demos going, Oh my gosh, this guy, this guy's happening. And, um, lo and behold, he's blown up. He's, you know, again, one of those records where you started with nothing and, and now he's, you know, he's, 
world renowned. That's um, amazing. Um, so I love being a part of those, and 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 I still, you know, I'm still working on a number of of new artists and young artists that are coming up that I really hope get a chance to to be heard and and known. Here's Jared Pope performing on the six and a half by fourteen buyer snare drum live with Damon Johnson. What I always say to people is, is, and I say this to myself too, is be teachable, mm. be open, be open mind. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan and that's just in, I mean, you can say that about your music and all, but, but I say that in life too. be teachable, be open. Um, there is so much information out there, um, to learn. Like I said earlier about, you know, my gosh, you can just, I mean, I can, I can type in triangle and get school. If I hang up from this from this uh, podcast and type in triangle on YouTube, I'm going to get schooled because there's people out there that are going to show me things that I've never learned. Take any instrument, take clave, take bongos, take whatever. Um, and part of that is be teachable, um, be honest with your gift. You know, if if, mm-hmm. if music is what you feel like you are called to do and, and you really want to do it, I, I think. We are even with this pandemic going on. I think people are. I tell people all the time. Everybody's, you know, concerned and worried, and, I, and, and I'm aware of. Too, I'm aware of it too. You know, I mean, I'm sitting here going, you know, we all, you know, I make my living playing live live shows, and we haven't been doing a live show. Yeah. Um, I am fully aware of of um, um, what's out there, what's not happening. But I also believe there is there are so many millions of people logging onto the computer looking for something new and innovative. Truly. So, you know, I can hang up the phone and, and, you know, you and I could continue this conversation before you know it, we could come up with a cool idea, you, me and some, somebody else that's like, wow, let, let's do this. Yeah. And we can create an idea and get it out there. And before you know it, you know, we had, you know, 35 followers. And then by the end of the week, we've got 350 followers. I mean, it, it's just one of those things, the opportunity to grow the opportunity to, to share our gifts and to get it out there and to get our music, to get our craft out there. I think it's, it's endless. I just, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm, I'm one of those try to be optimistic about all this. Of course. Um, but I'm also very aware of, you know, Hey, we're not doing gigs and we're not, I mean, I can't tell you how many gigs that we had booked, you know, that I was booked on sessions or live gigs that have been moved, postponed or whatever. So I am, I'm fully aware of that, but I'm also going, okay, if I'm not going to do a live gig today, then what can I do between now and the end of the day? You know, I can write a song, I can do a video, I can do a post, I can do what, what can I do to, um, to get the word out about who I am and what I have to bring to the table. Be teachable, be open-minded, practice, learn your craft, um, learn as much as you can. I'm, I'm a big, like I just said earlier, I'm a big fan of the phrase, what do you bring to the table? You know, bring as much to the table as you possibly can. I say that to every musician. You know, I play acoustic guitar, banjo, electric, and I can also play some keyboards. Great. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, you know, I, 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 I sometimes truly I, I get frustrated because I, 
I play a lot of instruments. I mean, you, you mentioned all that stuff over at Drum Paradise, all my gear. You know, I, I, I wake up some days, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I wish I was a better timpani player. I wish I was a better vibes player. I wish I, I mean, better composer, better this, better that. But it's like, well, I have the opportunity to take 30 minutes and get better at something. Yeah. You know, um, but my name, my main thing is always be teachable and be open minded and use the resources that are that are around us, which is the computer, the Internet. Um, yeah. One of the things I don't, I'm not going to mention who, who it was, but they were talking about Instagram posts or or social media posts. He's like, make sure what you put up there really has meaning and has, you know, um, and that's one of the things I, I probably don't post enough. Um, but I also go, if I post something, I want it to be interesting, fun, relevant, you know? Sure. So, I mean, the last thing I posted, <laughs> last thing I posted, I, 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 am just a big fan. I like watermelon during the summer. And so I, I constantly am eating it. And I was right before I cut into one, I actually was like, oh, I was banging around on it. I'm like, Oh heck, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to record this. And it ended up being this cool little post. It was a cool little, I treated it like a, like a hand drum. And so, you know, now I may, you know, I may follow that up with something else. You know, it's it might the be best my best of both proof. worlds. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, just be open-minded, be be teachable. In a very competitive industry and in a very uncertain time, I, I feel like the, the those are all super important things. Of course, even before the pandemic or, you know, being teachable, being able to uh, adapt to, to changes in the industry, whether it's inspired, mm-hmm. influenced by technology or trends, to, to be yeah. adaptable. And also, uh, I love what you say. Uh, you talk about what it, what is it that you bring to the table? Because mm-hmm. when a young guitar player comes to town and says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm moving to Nashville, I play guitar, and the first thing that everyone says is, oh, well, get in line. There's, you know... Mm-hmm. <laughs> 5,000 guitar players. Uh, but it's, you know, if you bring something unique and special to the table, then you'll, yep. you'll find your, your people and you'll find that and, work. And, right. And, and be confident about that. That's the other thing is to be confident going, this is what I do. This is, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, for years, and I'm still this way, I, I wake up and, and, uh, I mean, there's none of us that wake up and look at an Instagram post or a YouTube or whatever you follow and, and you can look at musicians and players around, whether it's Nashville, U.S., the world, and I go, oh, my gosh, that person, you know, whoa, that, he or she is amazing. You know, it's like – and you can either take it and go – and I've talked – believe it or not, I've talked to Mac about it, you know, because we're – you know, he's he's in a big learning phase now, too. He's constantly looking at new, new videos and wanting to grow and learn. Um, but you can either choose to be, I hate to use the word depressed. It's like, oh my gosh, that guy's sure. so good. And I'm not, you know, you yeah. can either look at it that way or go, you know, I'm going to grab onto some of that. You know, I've always been, I mean, I, when, when I tell people, it's like, I've been inspired by so many great percussionists and drummers. It's like, I take all of that and I throw it into a pot and I mix it up. And that's what you get. It's like, and that's how I approach what I do when I'm, when somebody calls me to work. I mean, I just finished a track. Uh, I uploaded it last night um, or yesterday, and I pulled from everything. I pulled from my classical. I pulled from my from my bluegrass ideas. Um, but I but I, I say that going, I just throw everything into a pot and draw on that, you know. And so rather than being depressed at seeing this amazing conga player, and there's there's plenty of them out there, um, 
And I go, God, those, those guys, what great chops and great this and great that. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's great. Learn, learn by it. Don't be depressed by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and that's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm admitting right here on the podcast. It's like, I, I do the same thing. I go, holy smokes, that guy's or that gal is, you know, whoever they are. But it's like, okay, well, I also believe that, that God's called me to do what I'm doing. And that's, that's what I do. And, and my job is to grow and learn and, and not be stale and, and, and to hopefully bring something fresh to the table every day. Um, that's my responsibility and that's my job. When I was working with Faith Hill um, years ago, we were doing some TV shows, live shows, and, and Vinny was the drummer in that band. And hey. um, I'll never forget, this is, and this is, I always tell people this because I'll, it, 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 it was teaching me something. He had just, uh, come back from Europe doing a Jeff Beck tour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so check this out. So he comes back from Europe. He was over there two, three weeks doing Jeff Beck, which you know is just this incredible, you know, rocking gig jazz, you know, he's going for it. And, and all of a sudden we're doing faith. We're doing a faith Hill re- rehearsal, which is pop country right down the middle. We're doing all of our hits. Um, and I'll never forget after you know, the first day going, he completely put a new hat on. He completely wow. played what needed to happen. There was not a, there was not a, you know, you would have never known that 48 hours earlier, he had just blown this incredible solo with Jeff Beck. I mean, he just laid it down, played the part. And I thought, man, that's cool. That's, you know, that's yeah. again, one of those learning experiences. Now I will say there were a couple of, <laughs> there were a couple of outros on one of the songs that he went off and did. <laughs> he was, he was Vinny and left us all in the, you know, it was, you know, that's but, awesome. but my point was, I just, I've shared the story with a lot of folks going, man, that was just, he knew his role. He knew what he had to do. And that's, and that's another thing. It's like, be confident in what you need to do. You know, it's like with the Jimmy Buffett thing. It's like, I know what my role is in that is in that organization. I know what sure. my role is with Jimmy. I know what my role is with Mac, you know, and and truth be told, I, I can stretch out and do more with Mac than I can with Jimmy. And that's OK, because Jimmy's got an 11 piece band. I don't need to overplay with that. I don't need to to play more. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's, I'm kind of going off on that. whole No, thing, no. But, it, but, I mean, that uh, Jeff Beck live at Ronnie Scott's with Tal Wilkenfeld and. Uh, that that's you can find on YouTube is one of my go-to videos that I watch uh, with Vinny playing and, and with Jeff and it, so I've been watching that a lot for about mm-hmm. four or five years. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah, you mention it, and, and, and I remember seeing uh, I was in Vegas uh, for ACM Awards one year, and uh, when when Vinny was playing, I remember him passing by me and getting on an elevator as I was getting off an elevator. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, 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 <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I still, we just did a tracking date on something uh, earlier this year for a, 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 it was a single for a new record. And it's the same thing. You know, I have such respect and such, um, um, I mean, what he has done to the drumming and music community. I mean, I have such appreciation for that. Eric, man, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, and and I appreciate you taking some time to to talk to us. It's been really, Absolutely. really a it's joy, a man. Privilege to be hanging with you and your yeah. audience. I mean, I had a great time talking, and and uh, hopefully some beneficial things for everybody. I, yeah. I I learned some things too, so that's good. That's cool. <laughs> 
I hope we get a chance to meet in person. Uh, I know it's going to happen. I, I'm positive. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. We're going to get through this. Um, but I, again, oh, yeah. um, I hope we get a chance to, to meet in person since we're in the same area code. <laughs> we are in the same area code and, and, uh, and hopefully meet and get a chance to work together, too. Dude, that would be amazing. Be um, we'll keep in touch. I'll do the same as, as this all comes together. And I um, hope you have a great rest of your week. And uh, I'll be in touch, man. Okay. You too. Take take care. Thanks, Eric. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So there you go. My conversation with Eric Darkin. I hope you found that inspiring. During the shutdown time when we're all trying to find ways to be creative, I feel like this has just been perfect timing to have a guest like Eric on to uh, help us all find new ways to stay motivated and creative, whether it's in a home studio or a practice session or online performing or whatever you are doing to make it through this time. So so thanks to Eric for taking the time to speak with us. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albeda's interview with Beth Goodfellow from Los Angeles. But a big thank you and shout out to all those who are listening and interacting with the podcast. We appreciate your support over this time. We've got some exciting guests and exciting things coming up in the coming months. So keep in touch with us. For now, stay safe, stay positive, and hope to see you real soon. Bye-bye.